Hello, and welcome to show number 2347 of Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. There are a couple of really important new features in iOS. I, I want to mention three of them. With personal voice, you can use your voice to train your phone to create a cloned AI-based version of your voice. And then live speech is for anybody who may either have difficulty speaking or whose speech is hard to understand. And assistive access, what it basically does is it simplifies the interface for the iPhone. And in today's episode, we'll be hearing lots more of what's new in iOS 17. We'll be talking with Shelley Brisbane, author of the recently released iOS Access for All, your comprehensive guide to accessibility for iPhone and iPad about this year's version of iOS number 17. She'll discuss what can be found in the book and highlight features of interest, including some of those ones that she just mentioned. But first for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Shelley Brisbane. This is a tip that is going to be most beneficial to folks who have uh, brand new iPhones 15 Pro or Pro Max, because uh, the, the phones come with a new button called the action button. We lost the ring silent button, which was the little switch at the top left of the phone where you could basically turn the ringer off if you wanted to. Uh, and we got something new called the action button. And uh, under that action button are a whole lot of different things you can do. You can... Uh, open voice memos, you can open the camera, you can use it to do the ring silent function if you want to. You can use an Apple shortcut uh, that you can connect to it, similarly to Backtap. And you can also connect to almost all of the accessibility features available. And so when you're swiping through the action button, there is a setting in, in iOS where you can configure the action button. And if you don't see that setting, it probably means that you don't have an iPhone 15 Pro or Pro Max because that's what you have to have to use it. Uh, but when you swipe through an action button, uh, you'll see a magnifier. If you, for example, want to quickly get in a magnifier and use the, those detection modes I was talking about, or if you want to go to accessibility, you can choose anything from voiceover to Zoom to grayscale to invert colors or uh, hearing, any of the hearing features. Just all of them are available in, accessi in the accessibility area of Action Button. The problem is that it's hard to choose and you can only choose one. <laughs> so my advice would be to try them out and see which one sort of fits most naturally. You could have one function under back tap, like we were talking about before, and you could have one under the action button, and you could have another one under accessibility shortcut. So between a double tap of the back of your phone, a triple click of the side button, or a press and hold of the action button, you can have at least three accessibility features of your choice right at your fingertips with a very quick action. Frankly, I liked it the way it was, so I use the action button for mute and unmute. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by TimeCrest, an iPhone and Apple Watch fantasy story game that delivers plot twists and deep emotional punches while being 100% accessible with many voiceover-specific features. You can find more information at timecrest.com. That's T-I-M-E-C-R-E-S-T dot com. 
You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Shelley. Each year, today's guest updates her book on what's new in iOS, and this year is no exception. So we're pleased to welcome back Shelley. So Shelley, maybe you can tell people who you are and what you do. Hey there, Peter. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Shelley Brisbane. I uh, I'm a writer. I uh, write both about mainstream technology and also about accessibility. I also have a day job in the public radio news biz. But in technology terms, uh, I write with a pretty heavy focus on Apple stuff. And as I say, both in the mainstream and the accessibility world. And the iOS book is my sort of big adventure every year in keeping up with what's going on with accessibility on Apple's platforms. So Apple is up to iOS 17. Does that mean you've written 17 of these books? <laughs> no, I started with iOS 7. So last year was the 10th anniversary book, and uh, this is the 11th book I've done. Quite a legacy there. That's great. And you are particularly good about talking about accessibility issues because you have partial vision, right? Yeah, I'm low vision. Uh, and I think people who read the book closely, and I'm not sure if, if people read as closely as, as I would, could probably tell that in the chapter where I cover low vision things within the book, I probably get excruciatingly detailed because those are the features that I use most often myself. I'm also a voiceover user, but uh, primarily I'm using all of the low vision oriented features that the phones and iPads have to offer. And so uh, I cover everything as best I can, but the low vision stuff gets a little special attention. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is the recently released version for iOS 17 of Shelley Brisbane's annual iOS Access for All, your comprehensive guide to accessibility for iPhone and iPad. Well, Shelley, let's jump right into it then. Tell us the name of your new book. The book is called iOS Access for All, Your Comprehensive Guide to iPhone and iPad. Used to be iPod Touch in there, but Apple has now made those inaccessible to uh, iOS 17. So we're covering all the products that uh, iOS 17 supports, and that includes iPhones and iPads. And as we touched upon, your low vision, Pete's totally blind, most of our audience has some sort of vision loss or other visual issue, do you cover just the visual accessibility aspects or do you get into other types? One of the things I'm most proud of about the book is that it does cover all of the accessibility features in iOS, whether they be for folks with hearing disabilities or physical motor or cognitive or visual impairment. And I think there are plenty of other resources out there of varying kinds, including a book or two, uh, but mine is the one that covers all of the accessibility-related features and also things that the iPhone and iPad do that touch on accessibility that aren't necessarily labeled as accessibility features. But I'm trying to cover as many disability categories as I possibly can. And sometimes it's good to know what's available in some of those other accessibility settings. I mean, sometimes you have cause to bring up some of those. Why, just last week, I was using voice control to control the phone remotely because I was trying to do something hands-free and I didn't have all my equipment right nearby. 
Yeah, I, I think, and I I do try to get a little intersectionality going in there too, because whether it becomes a hack, you have one disability and some feature for another disability category helps you in that particular case, or whether maybe you have multiple disabilities, there are ways they can interact together. And so um, I, I try to cover that. I think there probably are circumstances that uh, I don't necessarily get to because I don't know what everybody's personal experience is. But I think the goal of being holistic about it is that, you know, these devices have a lot of tools. Some of them are intended for the person that we identify as, but others of them are just out there. And it would be great to know how they work in case that we can get some value from them, whether they be uh, voice control or back tap, which is a feature that's intended for people with physical disabilities. But I think a lot of blind people love it uh, and any number of things like that. Well, perhaps you can give us an overview of the book, and then we can talk about some of the highlights that stood out to you. So the book is divided into four parts. The first is an introductory part that sort of describes all of the Apple devices and the ecosystem they live in, and that tends to expand every every year. Apple is focusing more on those services. Then the big section of the book, uh, there are several number of chapters, each chapter uh from uh, three through eight covers the disability categories. So blindness, low vision, uh, hearing impairment, physical, cognitive disability, and speech disability. And each of those gets a chapter so that we can focus specifically on issues related to that disability category. Then the third part has to do with the general mainstream use of the phone, the system functions and and how to use the iPad and all those sorts of things that where they overlap with disability, because I don't have an opportunity in the disability chapters to explain to you how control center works or how notification center works or how the security features of the iPhone work. So I figured I needed to create a chapter where we sort of do a grab bag of all those mainstream features and then how they interact with accessibility features. And then there's another chapter in that section specifically about the iPad because there's some iPad-specific issues. And then we cover Siri and shortcuts and also in that section. And then the fourth part of the book is about apps. So both the apps that Apple provides with the uh, uh, devices and also a compendium of apps that are both accessible and that have functionality that is beneficial from an accessibility point of view uh, from third parties. And so there's about 100 apps in there that are just, you know, are kind of best in class that we want to point people to. And I guess it's really five parts. So there are four parts. And then the fifth part is in a set of appendices, which is uh, keyboard shortcuts and the like for voiceover and for Braille displays, uh, and then how to install the operating system on the iPhone from scratch, which is something most people don't need, but it's way there in the back of the book if you want to. So it's basically divided into sections so you can flip to the thing that you want to look at as opposed to having to dig through several hundred pages to find the little bit of information that you need. So a very comprehensive reference and user guide. Hope so. I assume this book is available in lots of different formats. In the electronic formats, do you have links from one section to the relevant part of another section? Yeah, there are cross-references all throughout. And so I will refer to such and such a section in such and such a chapter, and both the EPUB and the PDF versions of the book have live links. Because they're live links within the book, uh, you don't necessarily have to be connected to the internet. There are also a few live links to things that are outside of the book, and I point that out. So if for some reason you're not connected to the internet, obviously you'd want to be to use those URLs. But there's there's a lot of cross-references. I didn't do an index because I feel like that's kind of old school, and for an electronic book, you don't necessarily need one. And my table of contents is really comprehensive, and it's down to like the fourth level. So you can find what you're looking for, but you can also do a keyword search in all those formats and, and find what you need. 
Well, maybe you can tell us some of the highlights that stood out to you this year, even if they're old features that have been improved or you think people ought to know about. Well, let's start with uh, voiceover because that was one that is it, it, it obviously is the cornerstone of accessibility in iOS, the screen reader for for blind and visually impaired folks. And that didn't receive a lot of changes this year, but I think it's notable. And this started last year when Apple added some voices from outside uh, their creation to iOS, the eloquence voices. And this year, those eloquence voices are back. But there's even more ability to control how those voices and all the voices that come with voiceover sound. So if you like Alex or if you like one of the other voices, but you just have an issue with the pitch or the timbre of the voice or some other aspect of it, there's all these nitty-gritty little settings that you can dig down and you can make Alex sound just as fast or as slow or as as breathy as you'd like him to. And the eloquence voices particularly, these are voices from uh, a company that Apple's licensed these voices. And it's the voices that a lot of people who use screen readers are familiar with from JAWS and from other screen readers. And uh, th- I think that's why those voices are so popular. And those voices are particularly used a lot for uh, reading speech at very high rates of speed. And so there are a lot of features deep down in there called per voice settings that allow you to turn that specific voice that you really like into the exact kind of sound you want. So the changes in voiceover this year are kind of like that. They're all really down in the in the nitty gritty weeds. Um, and I, you know, there, there are a couple Braille changes as well. I, I don't I don't know that they're, you know, I think it's kind of fixing and enhancing things with voiceover. There wasn't a lot of really new stuff. And I think for most people who use voiceover, uh, other than some uh, uh, changes to the autocorrect and, and predictive text, there's probably not a lot of new stuff for voiceover users. But it does feel like it's, you know, nice and consistent and that they're, you know, fixing things around the edges. Well, speech synthesis has certainly gotten more mature over the years. I remember when they first started out, they were barely understandable, but they're pretty good these days. And you mentioned eloquence. And as you mentioned, a lot of people use them on their PCs, as do I. And it's nice to have eloquence on your iOS devices because it is a little bit more digital and electronic, and it does enable you to read a little bit faster than listening to human-type voices. Yeah, and I think some of the benefits are coming to voiceover users that are coming to uh, voices being out there in the, the mainstream world. I think people are more used to speech synthesis, whether it's through AI or through some other means. There are a lot more people interacting with synthetic voices, and I think accessibility voices have always been kind of ahead of the curve. But now I think the curves are kind of meeting up because it seems like more emphasis and more availability of uh, voices in the mainstream is pressuring companies like Apple and like Eloquence to to make them all better. You mentioned earlier BackTap, and I know that's not a new feature, but if people aren't familiar with that, maybe you can describe that because it can be a useful feature. Sure. Well, BackTap allows you, there are two two BackTaps you can program, basically, by double tapping your device on the back or triple tapping it on the back, you can assign a feature to it. It could be something as simple as Open Control Center or something as intense as running a shortcut. Almost anything you can think of doing at the system level that you would do with a swipe or uh, by by pulling up from the bottom uh, of the screen, you can do with back tap. And as I say, it's a design for people who may have difficulty with swiping and other gestures that iOS requires. And that's where it's under the physical and motor accessibility function. But it's also just a quicker way 
to get access to something. You might use it instead of accessibility shortcut. You might enable voiceover that way. If you're if you're like me and you're a part-time voiceover user, uh, you might double tap the back of your phone to enable or disable voiceover or dark mode or or some other system level feature. And I've used that as an additional gesture to turn on and off voiceover. The downside is I find that sometimes if I drop my phone on a table, it'll recognize that as a back tap command and turn off voiceover. Yes, it can happen. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. When the feature first came out, there was a time when you would just put your phone down and it would voiceover on all over the place. And I kind of stopped using it for a while for that reason. It's gotten much better. And I also feel like, and I can't confirm this because I haven't tested it, but I feel like if you have your phone in a case, it's a little less likely to happen than if you have your phone just, you know, without a case. Now, there are also some new features that enable you to scan a room or your environment and tell you what's around. Can you talk a little bit about some of those? So there's a whole set of features called detection mode that came to iOS in iOS 12 when Apple uh, added LiDAR sensors to its pro phones. Those sensors were added primarily to assist with low-light photography, but they also had the benefit of giving the accessibility team the opportunity to add some detection mode features. And they started out with a thing called people detection so that with the magnifier app open, uh, you could point your camera at your surroundings and it would tell you whether there was a person in the frame and how far away you were from that person. And then the feature expanded to door detection, which allowed you to do the same thing that you could do with people with doors. And you could uh, detect circumstances about the door, like whether it was wood or glass, how far away it was, whether it was open or closed, that sort of thing. And uh, this year, the new detection mode that came along is called point and speak. And it's interesting because what it lets you do is take your finger and put it on, say, a text label on a device, like a microwave oven or a washing machine, say, and you point it where you think a text label is. And with the assistance of your device, uh, you can find out not only where exactly that label is, but what it says. It's reading the text. So I can look on my microwave and find the defrost button or the on button or the number buttons. And one at a time, I can interact with those buttons as I wish to. And so that's another detection mode made possible through LiDAR. And all of those detection modes are available within the Magnifier app. And that's probably not an app that most folks who are totally blind would go into because you don't have any reason to magnify what you're looking at. But all the detection modes are there on those pro phones. So it gives you just a little bit more information about your environment. You can also use a text detection so that you don't necessarily have to be looking at a label, uh, a like with point and speak, what text detection does is just finds text in the environment and reads it to you. Point and speak is helping you hone in on exactly where that text is and where that button is so that you can press it and use it. But I feel like this detection mode thing is just a, a growing opportunity. The accessibility team just keeps inventing new stuff for it to do. And it feels like it sort of heralds what might be coming in terms of AR and and maybe wearable devices that have some sort of uh, accessibility features and detection opportunities that, that don't exist yet. So I, I say keep watching this space as far as detection mode. Even if point and speak isn't exactly your thing, it feels a little new to me yet. It feels like it hasn't quite found its footing, uh, but it's super interesting that the accessibility team keeps adding in these new features uh, to take advantage of the LiDAR sensors in the pro phones. 
For those of you who are wondering, LIDAR stands for Light Detection and Ranging. It is akin to RADAR, which stands for Radio Detection and Ranging. Is there anything else you'd like to highlight? Yeah, I do. There are a couple of really important new features in iOS. I, I want to mention three of them because they're not related to uh, vision, but I think they're interesting because of what they do technologically and take the phone in directions that I don't think a lot of us expected. And two of them are related to speech, and one of them is related to uh, how a person who might have a cognitive disability uses the phone. So the speech features are called personal voice and live speech. Personal voice is intended for somebody who may be at risk at lose, of losing their speech. Say somebody with an ALS diagnosis, arterial lateral sclerosis is a disease that takes away your ability to speak and, and unfortunately to do many other things in, in life over time. And so if you get that diagnosis, you may still be able to speak but you have some time at some time at which you will lose that speech. And so with personal voice, you can use your voice to train your phone to create a cloned AI-based version of your voice. And, you know, some of us are maybe concerned about AI's impact on, on the world, but this is certainly one where uh, AI can be used for a benefit. Because once you have that cloned version of your voice uh, with aug augmentative communication apps and other apps on the iPhone, you can have the phone speak out in a version of your voice, even if you've lost your ability to speak. So personal voice is something that you would, over a long-term period of time, you know, you'd have to train it long before you lost your speech. But then when you lost your speech, you'd have the ability to communicate with family and friends in a voice that sounds something like your own. Well, that was interesting. Now, tell us about live speech. Live speech is for anybody who may either have difficulty speaking or whose speech is hard to understand. So let's say you have that situation in your life and you go to a coffee bar and you want to order a double latte with soy milk. Well, maybe that's hard to make yourself understood to the barista. You can type your order on your phone and then have live speech speak it out in a voice that you choose. So all the voiceover voices, all that long list of voices that's available on your phone is available in live speech. So whether you want to be Alex or Heather or whoever you want to be, you can have your coffee order or your question about how to catch the next train or whatever it is uh, read out so that uh, if your speech is difficult to understand or if it's just difficult for you to speak at this particular moment, uh, live speech can do it for you, which is a pretty cool feature, and it's easier to invoke. You don't have to train that like personal voice. You just basically uh, triple-click the home the side button, and there it is, and you type what you want to type, and you get speech back out. And you mentioned assistive access. What's that? Assistive access is the one for folks with cognitive disabilities. I also think it's a sleeper feature for people who are older and who may not be uh, particularly technically savvy and who may be uncomfortable with technology. And I, I have a 90-year-old mother, so I know wherever I speak there. And what it basically does is it simplifies the interface for the iPhone. So instead of the grid of apps that you see and instead of the apps with all the many, many features, uh, it simplifies that down to a few buttons with very large text and with icons that make it uh, fairly straightforward, not only to access the home screen of the iPhone, but that limit the number of apps you have access to. So you're only going to be able to use music and um, photos and the, the apps that are most commonly used without the clutter of having to use apps that are confusing or, or hard to navigate. And you can add other apps. If, if, if somebody says, no, I just have to have mail, you can have that, but that interface isn't altered. But in the case of something like music or phone and messages or uh, photos, those 
interfaces have been simplified by Apple so that you can say to somebody, here, touch this button here that says photos, and they're immediately looking at the photos that mean the most to them. And they're not having to fool around with, well, am I in albums? Am I in memories? Am I in photos for this year or this month? So it's basically a much simplified interface. And I really feel like this is an underreported feature. But I think for somebody who may be uncomfortable with the amount of complexity of the phone or whose cognitive abilities may not allow them to use it, I think having somebody help them put together assistive access uh, would be very beneficial. Well, what a great suite of useful features. And if people want to find out more, they can get your book. Absolutely. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Shelley Brisbane's latest edition of iOS Access for All, your comprehensive guide to accessibility for iPhone and iPad, how to get the book, and how to contact her. Shelley, remind us about the title of your book and tell us where people can get your book if they'd like to. The book is called iOS Access for All, and it's available from my website, which is iosaccessbook.com. There's all sorts of information about the book. There's a table of contents. There's a sample chapter. There's a description of the book. And then, of course, you can buy the book either in EPUB format or PDF format. EPUB format is something you can read with Apple Books or any number of accessible EPUB readers, it's a great format because it really handles those live links very well. A lot of people, though, like to read in PDF format. They're comfortable with it. And so I provide an accessible PDF as well. And for people who just can't decide, there is a bundle where you can get an EPUB and a PDF version. And the PDF or the EPUB version is available for $25 US. The PDF EPUB combo is available for $30 US. It's just two books within one zip file. And uh, if you would rather, you can go to the Apple Books Store and you can buy the book there. Um, I get a little less money that way, but you do have the satisfaction of knowing that you bought it through Apple and, you know, whatever whatever benefit that is to you. And it automatically goes to your iBooks library. And you can start at my website and you can get to either uh, the links to buy the book on my site or via Apple. If somebody had a question for you, how would they reach you? I'm on Twitter, sort of, what used to be called Twitter, sort of. Um, at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. Um, I'm most often on Mastodon, uh, at Shelly, at Zeppelin.flights, Z-E-P-P-E-L-I-N.flights. Uh, and those are probably the best ways to get in touch with me. I also do a lot of podcasts, so I'm I'm kind of around and can be heard. But if you want to ask me a question, uh, Twitter or Mastodon are probably the best ways. What is your podcast and where can people get that? I have a podcast called Parallel, which is on the Relay FM network. It is about technology with an accessibility focus as, or accessibility sprinkles, as we say. So sometimes it's a couple of mainstream folks and accessibility folks getting together to talk about tech issues we have in common. And sometimes it's more specifically focused on accessibility. And we do a lot about iOS and Apple-related accessibility, and, as well as other things on there. And that's available at relay.fm slash parallel. And you mentioned you have a day job with NPR. What do you do with them? I don't work for NPR. I work for a show called The Texas Standard. It is a statewide public radio news show out of KUT in Austin. And we're, we're a daily show. and We just cover the news of the day uh, from a Texas perspective. And that's available at texasstandard.org. 
And of course, if you're looking for any of that contact information or resources, you can find them in the show notes associated with this episode, which is episode 2347 at net. That's it for today's show. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about raising awareness one video at a time. Lucy Edwards is a blind broadcaster, content creator, and disability activist living in the UK. One of her goals is to change how people see blindness. We'll talk with Lucy about what motivated her to start her social media presence, how it led to a position with the BBC, and why she says she has her dream job. So thanks for joining us this week, and we hope we'll catch you for next week's episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.